welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. We've got David Scott. David, welcome to the Dellingpod. Um, I think most of our viewers and listeners know you from your incarnation at UK Column. And you're now, you've got a new, a new gig, a northern exposure. I can see your, your really impressive... Um, neon logo in the back which which puts me to shame by the way before i go on i want to apologize for the fact all those of you who came here to see my lovely ears uh, and and they're hidden behind these these expensive but but obtrusive headphones the reason is that for some reason the sound wasn't coming through my little speakers and my, my little headphones so we're gonna so you're gonna have to put up with me looking like princess leia um david uh tell me about your new venture uh well firstly thanks very much for having me on the daily pod this is this is a big thrill and uh the new venture new venture has been running now oh uh just about a month um so the first thing we did is woodwork and 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 a bit of a bit of wiring and we've uh, we built a little set to do recordings in um i'd have to say a big thank you to the people who did the neon sign. I thought this would be difficult to get, but actually it was a great service. You go online and, and, and tell them what text you want and font you want, and, and it arrives in a box about three weeks later. It's great. So we built the set and we started doing things. Now, um, I'll, I'll take you through the, what we're up to, and we might have a wee chat about each one as we go along. So uh, the one that's been happening today been moving forward today is a conference for uh, the Fornetti girls. Now uh, the Fornetti girls are a, a, a survivors group from a Fornetti residential school which was operated by Glasgow Corporation and then Strathclyde Regional Council and it, and it, op- it opened in 1961 and it ran to 1991 and very unusually, it was an institution that was abusive from day one. It was um, brutal to these little girls. So this was girls from five years old to 12 from Glasgow. And uh, they were selected. We might discuss how that happened. They were selected and they were sent to Fernethy for six to eight weeks. Uh, and this was meant to, in some way, help them. Uh, it was meant to be almost like a boarding school experience. It was meant to be out in the country, fresh air, away from the big city, away from the smoke and the grime of Glasgow. And instead of helping them, this blighted their lives. So um, th- th- we've had um, now a year, just over a year, working uh, with the Fernetti girls. And there's a survivor group of something like 200 in the Glasgow area. And there's survivor groups in America and Australia and all over. Because they had um, 74 rooms at Fernethy. And the girls went through in a six to eight week rotation. So we, we, we think there was over 20,000 girls went through this institution. Wow. And to say, it was, it was abusive from day one. And it, it, abusive in every way. So there would be psychological, physical and sexual abuse um and 
so we've, we've, we've sat down, we've, we've spoken at, at, at a great length with quite a lot of the survivor group, and they are women in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and their entire lives have been either seriously harmed or absolutely blighted by the effects of that six to eight week stay. Um, it's, it's dramatic to see the effects it's had on them and it's, it's very impressive to see the, the, the courage that they show in speaking out about it. So um, we, we started working with them back in about October uh, 22, maybe, maybe November 22, uh, when we came across the group and there was not much happening and we, we started to do research and we've got over the various campaigns we've been involved with over the, over the piece quite developed research abilities and this started to propel things forward. Um, so after three or four months of this we put on the first Fonetti conference which was done with my colleagues at then colleagues at UK Column and um, from a, a grassroots organisation called the Fresh Start Foundation and we put on this conference to kind of kick things into high gear. So it, it, this had a really beneficial effect because all of a sudden, the women were standing up, they were telling their stories. Um, I'd have to say, uh, the, the people at the venue were stunned by the stories. The people at the venue hadn't really seen anything like it. And the amount of courage that it took these women to stand up and say what happened, they'd literally one or two of them had been held up by, by other women as they got through telling, telling what they'd actually gone through. And the courage they showed was phenomenal and this kicked things off into high gear so all of a sudden some things started to happen we had a debate in parliament we've had an arrest there's a court case for one of the perpetrators alleged perpetrators uh, due to hit the Scottish courts sometime soon um, and so that all of a sudden the authorities are taking things seriously and the research and, and, and searching for information and for the, all the answers to the the questions that the women had, like, why me? Why did it go on for 30 years? Why was nothing done? We're, we're getting answers to all of this. Uh, so uh, on the 11th of February, we're running a, a second conference. So uh, there's a little crowdfunder um, on my Twitter account at the moment. Uh, there's a link to it my Twitter account um, and it's it's for the Fanetti conference to to raise a, a little bit of cash to pay for the venue and uh, video editing and such like because we'll turn it into uh, you know a, a full record of, of the day's events. Um, so if anyone out there can help, please help with that. the The event is it, it just shows you how much progress you can make in a year because we've now got human rights lawyers standing up at our event and talking about. All, all the progress that can be made on that front. We've got uh, a professor uh, standing up who did uh, all of the research in the Glasgow City Archives for us, talking about what's been found there. Um, and the, the whole thing is has moved forward tremendously. And whilst the first conference was all about the women and the experience, it was very difficult, I mean physically and emotionally very difficult for them to do, this time a year on, it's all about the progress we've made and how much, how much the, the the campaign has advanced, which has been tremendous. So that's project one. Well, I think we've already found definitely one one 
one topic I'd, I'd like to explore further with you. But, I mean, the impression I get as I venture deeper down the rabbit hole is that organised sexual abuse of children in institutions like this happens all around the world. And you've you found a, a, a particular example, but I bet there I bet there are schools in Australia. About I'm sure there are schools in America, in Canada, and 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 and, and so on. But one thing I've noticed uh, in in my kind of meanders around around the internet, looking at looking at all the different conspiracies that are perpetrated against us um, by elites. By by people in government and 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 beyond that, Scotland does seem to punch above its weight in terms of pure round unvarnished evil. And I was wondering whether you had any thoughts on that. I mean, it, it does seem a really evil place. Uh, yeah, um, let me let me give you a handle on that. Um, one of the people that we've identified as having been recognised by um, a very high proportion of the Fernethy women, um, was uh, Sir Nicholas Fairbairn, former member of uh, Conservative government uh, under Margaret Thatcher, uh, former Secretary General in Scotland, so that's the second highest law officer in, in Scotland, just under the Lord Advocate. So in charge of criminal prosecution, all criminal prosecution in Scotland goes to the Crown Office, there's no other... HMRC, post office, um, BBC collecting uh, TV licence. None of these people have prosecutorial powers in Scotland. It all goes through the Crown Office, and so does fatal accident inquiries. So you can appreciate how key that post is. If you have corruption at the heart of the Crown Office in Scotland, you are essentially lost because the power is tremendous. Um, there is uh, a big pile of rejected um, cases in the Crown Office where there's enough, there's enough information to have a reasonable chance of a conviction and there is a public interest case for proceeding with the conviction, with a, with a trial, but no trial happens. And that's about 40% of all cases. So if you're in control in that organisation, um, you can ensure that things just die and things aren't investigated. And Nicholas Fairbairn, who's a known abuser of children and who is recognised by multiple people in, in of the Fenethi girls, they didn't know who he was before we showed them the photograph. We showed one woman the photograph and it, if you had, if you'd attacked her with a cattle prod, the, the reaction would have been about the same. It was... I mean, she, she recoiled in horror from this photograph and immediately broke down in, in, in tears. It, the reaction was, um, uh, was, was brutal, the, the, just seeing the photograph had on. He, he's so, dead now, isn't he? He's dead now. And also dead is another person we've identified as going there, which is Shiny Bob, who's another known um, uh, abuser and he was, um, he, he, was, he was a QC, he was a senior lawyer, very, very high up in the uh, legal profession in Edinburgh, as indeed was Fairbairn. And they're both members of the same societies, you know, spec society, the same clubs, the same little world 
Um, now we've indications that these men also went to other schools like Queen Victoria School in Dunblane um, and we'll, we'll be digging into those areas as well. You mentioned about Scotland. Let me explain something about the Frenetti girls. Normally I, I, I wear a lot of tweed, right? I wear like tweed suits and things. Um, I don't I when I do the Frenetti. When anything's to do with Frenetti, I don't wear tweed, right? I have to dress down because the abusive men that went to Frenetti wore tweed, some of them kilts, uh, but they were they were they were well healed. These were not people off a building site or off a farm somewhere. They were well healed. They were wealthy. They were from an upper stratum of society, and they went along to Fernethy to abuse the girls, and the girls were in some way selected for this. Um, and that I mean I suppose if you'd have asked me that many years ago, I wouldn't have believed it of my country yeah. because I thought it was basically straight and the level of corruption and abuse and just outright sin that was going on is, has, has been off the charts. And you, you come across this in lots of different places and there are one or two parts of Scotland where if I was pulled over by the police, I would be distinctly nervous of, as to what might happen because some of the things I've put into writing, I know they haven't liked. Um, and I know yep. what they've done to other people. So how much how much can you trust your nation? Um, I've had a police officer say he wouldn't go public with information because this is in Scotland... He didn't want the shadow police at his door. Now, you can speculate. I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but it was an interesting phrase. So there is a degree of fear and there is a degree of conspiratorial um, banding together to, to carry out abuse. And children, this is little innocent children from... The, the 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 wrong side of the tracks mostly in Glasgow yeah. you know from from wrong side of the tracks isn't right from ordinary working class backgrounds in Glasgow right in the in the in the 60s and 70s where really there wasn't an awful lot of wealth around and no one had very much um, but these girls thought they were going for you know something special you know away to the country and all the rest yeah. of it and they they found it was it was hell on earth, and as I say well, it wasn't just it wasn't just a sense, it was there was sexual abuse there was also huge physical abuse by the staff, and emotional abuse, and we suspect also um, quite a lot of the girls were drugged. None of them seemed to remember bedtime. Right, they went to bed. They don't, none of them remember after they got a bedtime drink. They don't really remember anything. That's a, a consistent. Interesting. Pattern. So. The how much is it? How much is it centred in Scotland? I don't know, um, but punching above our weight is probably a, the correct assessment. Well, I was thinking of a couple of things. Um, Jimmy Savile had a house in Scotland. In Glencoe, yes. 
and Jim and Jimmy Savile was clearly um, a supplier, a pimp, a, a supplier of of underage children to to the upper echelons of society, should we say? Um, and I think that and Jim, was part and of Jimmy. Jimmy Savile went to Furnethy. He he what say? Jimmy Savile went to Furnethy. <laughs> Colour me shocked. Yeah, exactly. So these girls would, and it, and it wouldn't have just been Jimmy Savile, would it? It would have been a kind of a series of of high profile individuals, sort of politicians and people like that, who would have like being given lifting the lid of a chocolate box and being told, you know, take your pick of these girls. They could, is that is that what you're finding? Essentially, yes. Um, we're, we're piecing it together. Uh, one of the issues is the girls' records, one of the things we've recently found, is the girls' records went with them. Medical records went with them. Um, from the school. They were, they were selected by the school, either by the medical officer or by the head teacher of the school, to go to Fernethy. And their medical records went with them. Now, if their medical records said has been the victim of sexual abuse, that that was a target on that particular girl. Um, not every girl had horrible experiences, but some definitely did. Some were targeted because of their Shirley Temple looks. Some would be targeted because of their history. Some would be targeted... Well, who knows why? We, we don't know all the details. Um, and there was some sort of selection process. There was points where men would come and look and then the, the children would be taken to what was termed parties, sometimes within Fernethy, sometimes in big houses round about, sometimes houses with a swimming pool. And um, this was not a small operation. And it went yeah. on for 30 years. You see, one of the strange things is normally um, when you find these institutions, they're usually set up with genuinely good motives. Um, Fernethy was given to the local authority by the estate of uh, the Coates family, and the Coates family were the, were the thread millionaires in yeah. Paisley. Yeah, Coates Viola. All right, so... Um, if anyone knows Paisley, they'll know Coates Memorial Baptist Church, uh, which is wonderful, palatial, um, beautiful church, all built um, from the, 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 the philanthropic giving of the Coates family. Uh, so this was given on the specific condition that it would be used to help children. So I suppose you could argue it does start also from a positive position. But unlike quite a number of the other places, um, like Quarrier's Homes in, in Renfrewshire in Scotland, which started off really with the best of intentions and one was wonderfully set up to try and help children who, who were orphans, uh, and to which the abusers were slowly attracted and the abuse built and built. Um, this was different because it was abusive from day one and it was very strange how how it happened, because the, the headmistress that was originally appointed, she died after just a few months. Um, there was 
a, a stand-in headmistress who wasn't qualified, but who got accepted because she was in post. And she stayed long after she was due for retirement until she trained her assistant, and that, that assistant became the new headmistress. So for 30 years, there was only ever two people in charge. And they were both abusive, and they were both operating in this manner since, since you know, for the full duration. So it didn't slowly morph from something that was benign to something that was toxic. It started off toxic and stayed that way. So it's very unusual. Plus, the number of kids that went through it, because it was only six or eight weeks of time, the throughput in times 74 girls, the throughput, you know, runs into tens of thousands. Can I just ask you to rewind a second? Um, what do we know about Nicholas Fairburn? Because, I, I mean, I, I do remember, I, I remember what he looked like. I remember him from Margaret Thatcher's cabinet. Nicky Fairburn, I think he was known as, wasn't he? He was sort of, yeah. lots of people, lots of people knew him. Did they not? I mean, he was quite a sort of a social figure. Oh, for sure. He, he yeah. made his career on his flamboyant dress and his flamboyant manner, his flamboyant speech, these you know, sometimes shockingly frank speech. Um, so he, he was anything but in the background, like right. Savile. He was to the fore. It was, it was absolutely in the open. And he spoke, um, he spoke quite openly about um, essentially whatever sexual practices a person got up to. It didn't really matter if when they, they went to the professional job the next day they performed properly. Right? So he, he actually, he really gave the game away. If you read, his, if you read what, he, what he said and what he wrote, about women, about how he viewed women, um, it, it, there was clearly something untrustworthy there that wasn't, it, he wasn't struggling to hide it. He wasn't trying to blend in with the background. He wasn't trying to be just a grey face amongst many. It wasn't done in that way. It was done with audacity. It was done in your face. Just like as subtle. Just as subtle. Yeah. yeah. Did, who appointed him? Margaret Thatcher? Yes, she did. Um, he didn't last awfully long. He, he, he had to resign over some gaffe. I can't quite remember which one now. He, he, so he didn't last hugely long. And he didn't get the top job in the Crown Office. Um, there was enough rumour circulating about him that someone got the impression that that would be a bad idea. And he didn't get the, he didn't get the Lord Advocate's post. Okay. So but he was, he was second in command of the Crown Office. Okay, so to go back to my original question, you know, why is Scotland so um, uniquely evil, <laughs> or whatever it was? Um, it's not just Fairburn, is it? I mean, there were other people who, who were other people in the, uh, with that power to shut down investigations and stuff. It, so, it sounds like a, 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 a web of corruption. That, that, that well, the thing, the thing about Scotland, you've got to understand, it's a small country. Right? And it's a small country, and it's very unlike... Ethnically, there's no difference between Scotland and England. Right? There's no, the border doesn't mean anything in terms of people. Yeah. Okay? Uh, there's a slight difference in Britain between the style of people you get in the Midlands and Southeast, which is Saxon, and the people in the rest of the country. Right? But the rest of the country, Scotland, 
you know, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Wales, the South West. The, 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 the nature of the people is pretty much the same. Right. Ethnically, they're pretty much the same. Um, they all they all came in from they came in from different directions, but from the same source. They're all Scythian. Um, so, Scythian, yeah, Scythian. Well, so, so wh- where is where is Scythia? It was um, and it was a, well, it's a nomadic people. But if you go to Iran and then head north into Russia, that that sort of area is where they came from. But they okay. were in the yeah. Um, but the Scythians were also um, uh, Carthaginians uh, were the same group. Bithians and Scythians and Carthaginians all spoke the same language. So you know, the, the, you're, you're talking about uh, there was a lot of migration, right? There was a huge amount of migration, and these people came from a similar source, the same source, and they all came to Britain. So they're all ethnically very similar. But there is a there's a big historical difference. And there's also a scale difference. Now, Scotland is five and a bit, less than six million people. And, and England now is, is, ten, is almost ten times that size. And the, 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 the systems in Scotland and the... Because um, at the Act of Union, Parliament went down to London, because of the Union of the Crowns, the King went down to London... The, the, the Scottish system was kind of locked in where it was like three, four hundred years ago. And you've got this very lightweight system with very a very small number of people involved in key positions. Now, if they're all fine Christian gentlemen that you could trust, then fine. You've got a very efficient system that will be pretty clean. But if, if evil captures those few positions, you need a tremendously small number of them. You've got the Lord Advocate and, and, and Solicitor General, right? You've got the Chief Constable, that's three. You probably need the head of the Law Society, that's four. The head of the Scottish Legal Aid Board, five, right? And then, then what else do you need to actually lock the country down? Not many more. You know, if, if you've got six or seven really corrupt people in the right places, you, you've got Scotland. England's much more diverse. England always had more checks and balances. Um, the Scots were always a bit more compliant, a bit more easily governed, despite what you might think. Slower to anger and more, pl- more placid. And this, this has a downside of making us e- easy to govern and easy to misgovern. Wow. And it takes quite a lot to get the Scots riled up. I mean, once you once you get there, it, you know they, they will eventually get there, but it, it's not it's not what you would think from Braveheart, and this also means that there's a tendency for this small elite to go along quite nicely and not be questioned too much, and we don't have the checks and balances, the institutional checks and balances. Take um, take the legal system in England; you can run a private criminal prosecution. Can't do that in Scotland. At least not without the specific permission of the Lord Advocate. And that hasn't been given in 125 years. Right? So there's no private prosecution. So you can't say, well, the Crown Office... And remember, the Crown Office was called institutionally corrupt uh, by Dr Squire of the Lockerbie family's fame. 
Um, so that, that if you've got if you've got the crown office, if it is institutionally corrupt, then the heart of your country, the court system, is is unavailable to you, and this makes Scotland easier to lock down. England is more diverse, and America more diverse again. There's more power bases. Scotland, partly because of scale, partly because of history, it's a small power base, and if you capture it, you can actually get quite a long way towards uh, corrupt aims without anybody uh, doing very much. It sounds like it's been well captured. The, the scene you were describing sounded to me like the Wicker Man. I mean, it's it's this this community which sort of small community which gets away with well evil because because no one's going to stop it because the every position has been captured well I, the the reason i got into all of this was a was a man called robert green and he was um uh welsh but living in england and he'd been campaigning against various bits of injustice in England with some considerable success. And he, his background was in um, travel agency and he, was, he got involved in uh, rooting out corruption in that particular industry and the associated legal hangers on with quite a bit of success. And then he came to Scotland, I, th I think it was a, a holiday, and he, he ended up uh, getting... Uh, tied into a case looking uh, to uh, defend a girl called Holly Gregg. And Holly's a Down syndrome girl who had been abused by a paedophile ring in the Aberdeen area. And it's a very high profile paedophile ring, including two headmasters, two senior social workers, um, senior police officer, and a sheriff and judge. Um, so he's he said, well, I'll only get involved if there's documentation. I said, oh, there's documentation. So he was sent all the documents and he reviewed it all and he thought the case is sound. So he started to, he started to campaign. And he got, he made enough of a splash that, that the police said they'd reinvestigate. So they reinvestigated the abuse. Now, reinvestigate, I'll show you what reinvestigation means. Holly had named 23 abusers, 22 of the names had been passed to the police. The police interviewed, the reinvestigation interviewed none of them. It searched no computers. It didn't look at any hard drives. It just talked to Holly again. Right? So she had a three-hour three interview, which she it held to her story, absolutely. She'd been entirely consistent. And if you know anything about Downs, truthful is what they are. Um, they took one or two slips where she she had a speech impediment where one of the words one of the names didn't sound quite right so they they used that as a as a reason to say well she said she named someone who doesn't exist right. not true and uh, they decided that there was insufficient credible admissible evidence crown office insufficient credible admiss admissible evidence we can't go forward with this buried so robert decided that that meant there was ongoing abuse rape of children in the Aberdeen area. The people of Aberdeen had the right to know and it should be stopped. So he decided to stand for Parliament. So he stood for Parliament at a by-election in the constituency in which the abuse had happened. And he got off the train in Aberdeen and he didn't know, but he was being followed by a private detective hired by the judge. 
the private detective phoned Aberdeen CID, who dutifully came round and arrested him. And he was then released on bail, and the bail conditions were, you are not allowed to enter Aberdeen. So he stood for Parliament in Aberdeen with an order preventing him from entering Aberdeen. But nobody knows about this because the mainstream press didn't report it and it was, it just drifted on. So eventually he was, he was um, eventually uh, convicted of breach of the peace. Breach of the peace is another beautiful Scottish term, right? You could be breaching the peace right now, you wouldn't even know it, right? Breach of the peace is whatever the authorities want it to be and it's become an instrument of social control. Right? It covers everything, including, and I'm not kidding this because this is there's case law in this, looking at me in a funny way. That can be breach of the peace. So he was convicted of breach of the peace and he was given a year and he was let out after three months or something because we were all making a bit of a stink about this. And he continued writing. It, it, it was given an order, a non-harassment order. So the non-harassment order named all the abusers, which was quite interesting. Named all these people. I said to Robert, you're not allowed to contact or talk about or harass these people. So he didn't go anywhere near them, but he continued to talk about the case. Um, and then he started to talk about something called the spec, uh, sorry, something called the Violate Club. Now, what the Violate Club was, was a fetish club organised by an Airdrie lawyer. And there was many of the great and the good going along to this fetish club. And they had, amongst other things, um, dolls of children to abuse. So it seemed, Robert started to talk about this, and the, the word in the street was the membership list had leaked. So it seemed that someone in Police Scotland decided that Robert was going to publish the membership list. So there was a knock at his door in Cheshire, and there were some officers of Police Scotland, and they lifted them and they put them in prison again. This time, they put him in a prison in Perth, which is my hometown. And I heard about it and I thought, well, I've got to go and visit this man in jail. So that's, that's how I got into all of this. Now, right. having looked at how he was treated, it was corrupt to the core. Right? The, the pressure that was put on him, the, the whole point of the Crown Office is it's meant to be straight. It's meant to protect people from wrongful conviction, wrongful persecution, they've had to admit that they were involved in malicious prosecution. The Crown Office have had to admit this over the case involving Glasgow Rangers and the, Glasgow, the owners of Glasgow Rangers Football Club, that they carried out a, um, a prosecution of these men, which would have destroyed their careers and imprisoned them and all the rest of it had gone forward, which wasn't just wrong, it wasn't just an error, it was malicious. And that, of course, and it went on over years with, with a large organisation. So that's a crime. That is, the very, by its very definition, organised crime. So when I say the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service is organised crime, I'm not, it's, this is not just um, a polemic. This is, this is verifiable fact. So this organisation is meant to protect people, meant to uphold the law, obediently went after Robert for... Nothing. Um, the, his, he had a very good lawyer, uh, who was a, a fine gentleman operating out of Glasgow, 
and uh, the lawyer, I, 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 I loved him dearly because one of the things he did is he made a point of, of writing to the Crown Office and thanking them for the 666 pages of evidence against Robert. <laughs> is it, did they really give him... Yes, yes, there was 666 pages of evidence against them. It, purely, pure coincidence. It's, a pure, it's just a number, it's a pure coincidence. And um, by the time they got to court, um, there was basically nothing apart from the fact he's written to Alex Salmond and Alex Salmond's constituency office appealing for help in looking into child abuse in Scotland. And that was deemed to be a contravention of um, the order. I couldn't see it, but that's that's what was being decided. And um, so he was told, you know, you're, you're guilty. Um, and by this point, your heart condition and things, he wasn't a well man. Um, there was enough pressure put on him. He actually pled guilty in order to get home. It became a matter of self-preservation. And and the order was then explained to him that it's not that he can't mention Holly Craig, but if he if he mentions it to a stranger on a beach in Hawaii, that's quite possibly breaking the order. Right? It it was it was you have to be utterly silent on that for the rest of your life, or we will get you. So it was very interesting seeing how this how this, this system operated. There was not even the merest hint of reasonableness or fairness or correctness or nobility about it. It was vicious. And this is this is this is what we're in. And I don't think that many nations are maybe much better, and I don't think many systems are much better. But certainly in Scotland, um, we've got we've got the mother load of, of these sorts of problems. Um, and it would be it would be joyful to start sort of sorting it out because the first thing you would do, the first thing to do, is to take the monopoly away from the crown office. That that alone would make a huge difference. You know, someone comes to you and say, you know, the police have investigated your case, you've been burgled, and you can go to the crown office or you can go to their competitor. You know, the, yes, the non we, we get the bombs dot com or something who are. Who want to who want to prosecute your case? Who would you like to go with? If we got that, all of a sudden, a lot of the problems would go because the crown office and the crown office monopoly is at the heart of a lot of it. The, okay, it's called the crown office. What, what is what is its relationship to the royal family? Because I mean, there there are sort of unmentioned thus far presence in this. In this, you know, you've got it, it, you've got Jimmy Savile being friend of the royals. Yeah. You've got, you've got the Dunblane massacre when what's he, what's the the guy who carried out the Dunblane massacre was was um, Thomas Hamilton, friend of Savile's, wasn't he? And, and 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 possibly a well, he was he was he spent quite a lot of time going around Queen Victoria's School in Dunblane, and he was in taking boys out of there. So he was in the same general abusive world uh, that we've been talking about and uh, yeah I mean what's it, what does the crown mean right because I asked I actually asked the crown office I sent them an FOI years ago yeah. I said could you please explain to me what the word crown means in crown office and property at fiscal service and they wrote back and said we don't have that information on file and we can't they therefore can't answer your question Apparently they don't know, because 
it's one of those very difficult to pin to the wall terms because the whole idea of having a monarch is it's a personal relationship. The crown becomes a very vague corporate thing. And to what extent is it? Is, there's almost no tie-in anymore to, to the monarch. And there's certainly none of this... Um, personal commitment to a personal human being that is intrinsic in the idea of monarchy, that's long gone. You know, we've got we've got the skeleton of it left. We've not got any of the flesh and the bones. You're suggesting that, that, that really the monarch now is, is, a, is, a, is a puppet. That there was a sort of shadowy, a shadowy thing representing this, 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 this vague concept that we call the crown. Oh well, well, certainly the latter. The vague concept of the crown is is a, is a, one of the one of the things is to try and understand what fascism is. A lot of people call, throws that word around quite a lot now. Fascism, a simple way of understanding it is it's worship of the state instead of, instead of God the Father. Right? It's, 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 the state becomes the point of worship. There's an element of the idea of the crown that's in that area. Right? That's, that's a long way from the idea of the king. It's, yeah. the, the, these, are, these are not tremendous, there's not a big overlap. There's a small overlap, but it's not a huge overlap. So how much is the royal, the actual royals, how much are they involved with, controlled by, or controlling? Well, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I don't move in those, in those elevated circles and it's difficult to say. I got the feeling there was a fair amount of... Uh, and I, I don't know about Charles, but in terms of the old Queen, um, there was a there was a considerable amount where she was quite possibly surrounded with a lot of evil and and had limited room for manoeuvre. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I, one hears different takes on this from people in our in our world. Just a, as a, a, a brief digression. The thing that spooked me out more than anything, I don't know whether you saw it in the, uh, after the Queen's death, was as her cortege, or as, her, as her coffin was being transported down from Scotland south, a policeman at the roadside gave a very, very strange salute that was not normal. That it was. I don't know if you've seen you've seen the video of this. It was weird. It was some sort of. It can only have been some sort of a cult symbol. Hmm. I, I I didn't see that, so I'm afraid I can't comment. I, and, and so you okay? So you've got the you've got the rules at Balmoral. Um, you've got the, the the various Scottish dukes in these rather sinister-looking and remote castles often uh, where you know on, on, on vast estates where anything could go on I mean do you think okay so we know that jolly Nicky Fairburn uh, the sort of 
star of Nigel Dempster's diary, no doubt, in the, in, in the days when Nigel Dempster was doing his male, diary, male gossip diary. But I'll bet, I mean, you, you tell me about the other, the, the other dukes and the, 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 the aristocracy. I mean, they... Well, you see, the thing is, right, the, the, the odd thing about this, the nature of, the nature, particularly the nature of child abuse, is you get, um, it cuts across society. One of the things I've, I've learned is it doesn't actually matter who you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a duke or if you're living in a council house somewhere. This stuff can come for you. Right? And I've, I've seen it come for dukes. And, and they've ended up being in um, against their will in abusive um, old, old folks' homes or, or psychiatric hospitals or something where they've no, no place in being and no wish to be and they, their, their families couldn't get them out. And then all of a sudden, all of the power that you might think is attached to that position doesn't work. And they're not able to make any any headway. Um, and equally, you'll find that there are people, there was one in the north of Scotland, who terrorised Kate Ness. Right? We spoke about this, I've, I've written about this. Um, and he was, he was, he was dealing a bit of drugs, but he had no money. He was a bum. He was extremely violent, extremely dangerous. We're probably talking two or three murders, there might have been more, multiple rapes. And he had the run of the county, he drove around, no insurance in the car, no tax, nobody, nobody touched him. He was immune. Now, the, le the level at which he was immune, you couldn't buy with money. You couldn't bribe enough policemen to get you that degree of immunity. But he was immune. What, what, what had given him this immunity? He knew too much? Well, I would suggest to you, I can't prove this, I would suggest to you that the world of child abuse is the only way you get that immunity. Yeah. Because that's a currency yeah. that's, that's worth more than money. Yeah. Yeah. And so whatever he knew, he, he, could, he could get away with murder. He did get away with murder. Now, that was not a duke. That was the opposite. So I, I don't think it's correct or helpful to think collectively about these things. It's about the decisions that people make and the, and the connections they make as a result. Um, if you start to think of, you know, the group is and whatever, whatever subsection of society you pick as... as as the perpetrators, I, I think you make as many mistakes as you get things right in that, and, it, and it's not it's not particularly helpful because you're talking about you're talking about evil. You're talking about the, ult the ultimate. You're talking about evil versus good, and um, you can choose evil or choose good, no matter what position in society you're in, no matter well, what yeah. e ethnic group you come from, no matter what you can you can choose because we can recognise this. You can recognise. We know evil when we see it. What was done to the girls in Fernethy, the people doing it would be under no. They'd be quite clear that it was evil. They'll be able to see the effect there and then. Well, but, but pursuing this evil 
theory, uh, evil theme for a moment. I mean, I'm I'm totally with you on this. I did a I did a, a podcast about a year ago, and and, and I, it took me ages to release it because I was just so freaked out by the whole thing. With um, somebody called Jessie Zabota, I don't know whether you've heard of her. Um, I mean, her story is that she was she was heavily involved in the sort of satanic world. She was a, a mother of darkness, and I mean. I mean, how, how how does one? There's no way of ascertaining whether half of what she's saying is true or not. But Scotland did feature quite heavily in her accounts of ritual satanic abuse. I know that there was sort of ritual satanic abuse in the Orkneys a few years back. Um, there was there's weird stuff like what on earth is a pyramid? doing in the grounds of Balmoral what that that is that is not a that is not a Christian symbol and and then you've got the Scottish rite of Freemasonry can can you talk about about this stuff a bit well um let me give you an example I'll give you a little story um when we we were doing a, a a year's worth of touring around about Scotland talking about child abuse and the victims including Satanist ritual abuse. So we went round lots of different Scottish towns and we recorded the results and we put them out there. So this was going on, so we, we, we ran this for a year. So it came the time to do Aberdeen. So who are we going to get as our guest speaker? Well, Robert Green was still alive at this point, so we got Robert, who was fair play to him, up for going back and doing a speech in Aberdeen. So uh, we got cancelled twice, um, and we eventually did the speech in the street because we couldn't get a venue. Happens. Um, and it went very well. But by the time I got him back down to central Scotland, uh, there was no trains home that night. And, uh, okay, well, we'll get your hotel. And there was no hotel. There wasn't a hotel bed in Persia. It, we literally walked into hotels they got, as they sold the last bed. You couldn't get them in anywhere in Persia. So, okay, well, I'll take you down to Stirling. There's a hotel. We get a place, a bed in the hotel. It's next to the railway station. That'll be convenient, right? So I trailed down to Stirling, dropped him off. So i have come, come back up from Stirling. It's 11 o'clock at night, and I haven't eaten since lunch or breakfast or something. Uh, and I've got a, I've got a friend who runs... Um, a, uh, who ran a curry shop in Perth so I phoned them up and said it's a wee bit late but would you feed me? No problem David, come on. So I go in and then after, uh, halfway through my curry in comes two guys with street pastor written on the back of their jumpers. Right. So these are two street pastors who are out for, for, the, for the pub kicking out time to help the drunk people home and, and defuse the fights and generally make the make the the experience safer for everyone concerned. So my friend introduces me as the expert on SRA and points these two towards me. And I think, okay, well what's gonna happen here? So I'm telling the story about all that we discussed that day. And there's there's two of them, there's an old chap and a young chap, and the young chap's eyes are like saucers, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the old chap is looking sceptical. So I thought, well, I know what's coming next. Oh, I thought I did. So I thought he was going to say, this is rubbish. And he says, so I, f- I finished my spiel. 
and he says to me, oh, I, I can't believe it's as common as all that. He pauses. He said, now, there is the coven that meets in Dunning, it's just south of Perth. Uh, they meet at the Witch's Memorial. Uh, and I know there's a coven in Pitlochry, just north of Perth. Uh, they meet in the fields outside of town. But I, I, I can't believe it's as common as all that. I didn't know about either of those two. So here this random street preacher, he knew about two covens, right? Practicing Satanist rituals. And Satanist rituals means abuse. And if uh, anyone wants to, anyone doesn't believe me and wants to know more, look at the work of Lottie Matthews, who has operated a charity in Dundee for many, many years dealing with the survivors of Satanist ritual abuse, and who is um, absolutely encyclopedic on the topic. So this happens. Now, you may have picked up recently there was a trial in Glasgow. In fact, some of the sentence, sentencing is still to occur. And this was a Satanist ritual abuse trial. And the people were convicted of abusing children. And uh, so, again, if anyone says it doesn't occur, it occurs. It's been through the courts. It's been proved. So these things are going on. And if, uh, and if of all the areas that that I've come across, the hardest. You said you were freaked out by this interview and found you had to take a pause before you put it out. I'm not surprised. It's of all the areas that I've ever come across, it's, it's by far the hardest. It's a level of evil that you just... It, it's, it's unlike normal evil. It's, it's really vicious and... It's so um, in love with the lie, it will lie and lie and lie and lie, and when it's caught, it'll just spin around and lie somewhere else. There's, there's absolutely no truth in it at all. It's a very, very dark thing to come in contact with. That's exactly it. I mean, there's that bit in, um, in the epistles, isn't, isn't there, where, where Paul tells us to not think about horrible things but to think about you know to keep your mind on on good things and i think i think some christians use that as a as a well i mean ordinary people as well use that as a sort of get out they just don't want to go there because it's so horrible but at the same time i'm thinking if one doesn't occasionally talk about this stuff doesn't that do a disservice to all the the, the children who are having horrible things done to them and are we, are we supposed to go yeah but but it happens you know and let's not think about it because it's well it's worse bigger. than that it's worse than that they say and the answer is well you're making it up because it doesn't happen yeah and and if an adult champions them right suppose their mother believes them and 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 rings the alarm bell then it's worse because you the mother are making it up you are therefore got mental health issues. You are therefore a threat to your own child. So we'll take the child. Oh yes, you're right. Now about this that. is this is so common that the charity in Dundee I was telling you about no longer sends the women to the police. They can't. They saw it over and over and over again. The first thing that would happen is women lose their children. The second thing that would happen is the children would be handed over to the abuser. And they saw it over and over again. Until they got to a point that they say to the woman, is there someone you can trust? Is there somewhere you can go? Right, go. Don't tell anybody. Because so, the authorities can't be trusted. I, so before you 
you met what's his name Rob, Rob, Robert Green mm. but before you sort of got drawn into his story you were just what one might call a normie you, you, you weren't aware of these, these, these hidden layers in our world Normie-ish. Um, I was. I'd been following Robert's work for maybe a few years, and I'd exchanged the odd email with him and you know a few words of support. But there's a difference between between a few words of support and actually putting yourself out there, right? And it's a line. You realise when you're crossing it that I am crossing a line. And for me, it was when I went to see him in jail because you've got to give. Give us a photograph of your passport, your your address. You 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 provide all of this information, so they they know exactly. The authorities know exactly who you are, and that was me saying, "Yeah, I, I'm on his side." Right. right. And that was that was for me. That was the point where it stopped being something I thought and started being something I did. Yeah. Um. It's interesting that, that both you and you and Brian Gerrish were sort of radicalised by by the same the same thing. I think well, I think it was originally the child abuse and the, and the the family courts and the, the, this corrupt system yeah, which yeah. drew him Brian, into. Brian spent quite a bit of time in the family courts, uh, you know, helping people who are going through it, and that, that, that did have a big effect on them for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we talked about this because, because actually, you know, not everyone, not everyone I, I, I have on the podcast is capable of addressing this issue. And I, I have to say, I, I, I hate it when people, people tell, say this to me, but I do think you're very brave. I mean, having taken that step, because do, do you live in Scotland? No. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's not brave. It's not brave. Apart from the Peter Head area, where I don't feel entirely safe because of some of the stories I've covered, but um, it's not brave. It's ne it's necessary because if you don't stand up, this this comes down to what Scotland's one thing, but the whole of the whole of society is coming apart. Right, we're seeing increasingly strange things happen. We might cover a few later on as it's happened in the last week things are moving at a pace there's going to be a point where um we'll have to take a decision right this is the this is the question of if you were if you were a german in 1939 you know and you found yourself conscripted and you found yourself in the eastern front and someone gave you a rifle and said shoot that pregnant woman in the head what do you do yeah right and it, it's your neck if you don't, right? And you have to say no. Now, where do you find the courage to say that? I don't think it's anything to do about bravery. It's in part, it's practice, right? It's being match fit. If if you're going to say no when it really matters, I, my, we all have a default character, right? I'm. My default character is I'm, 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 you might find this hard to believe, agreeable, right? I'm, I'm far too nice, and that was always a problem. <laughs> and how do you get to a point where you tell the guy who's got the rifle, no, I'm not doing it? Well, you, you, for me, you practice, right? You, you, you start off telling a bit of the truth, and then you tell a bit more of the truth. 
and you get better because anything you do, you get better at with practice. And I, yeah, yeah. I think I think the idea that there will come a point where um, you'll have to make a hard decision, and you you'll have to go smiling to your fate if that's what if that's what's necessary, rather yeah. than give in and do the evil thing. I think that requires. Um, I think that requires a bit of thought beforehand and a bit of practice and a bit of development of the skills and 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 using the ideas to say yeah that that's wrong because um and getting out of the mindset of the state says authority says do what you're told that's got to die yeah I'm 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 with you. I remember um, my sister, um, my lovely sister, was 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 down the rabbit hole way before me, and was aware of so much of what I've talked about on my podcast in the last two or three years, and including this this sort of thing. And when I started showing an interest, she said, "Jay, don't. You, you mustn't go there. You know, it it'll there the, there are so many bad people. You'll get yourself hurt. You know." And I said to her, you know, when she said this, look, I cannot do otherwise. That what, what's the alternative? Just sort of, sort of accept that, that all this stuff goes on, and you're just going to go, yeah, but I'll find my little, my little safe corner where I can buy myself some time. I, mean, I think so many people have this attitude, you know, now as the as the global economy collapses, you deliberately engineered by evil people who, who who don't want us to have freedom and don't want us to have lives even. And everyone's going, yeah, but if I can only make enough money on cryptos or, or whatever, I can buy myself freedom from the system. And it, th- th- there has to come a crunch point where people say, enough is enough, and if I get, if I get killed, so be it. Because I don't want to live in a world where this thing happens, and I have a, a certain degree of responsibility for it if I, if, if, if I don't resist. If, if you look at the first century church, what's the outstanding feature? Martyrdom. The, martyrdom, yes. Yes, exactly so. And this is, and they willingly, if, the, if those are the choices, that's fine, I choose Christ. And yeah, it's a, bu- it's a bummer. I mean, I think of all the religions we could have, we could have chosen, David, <laughs> we... we <laughs> It's, it's only way. saving graces that it's true. <laughs> that's, that's, that is definitely an upside. But you, you do look at it, you know, the, the, and you hear phrases like the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And actually reading, I mean, Tom Holland isn't a Christian, but reading his history of Christianity, he did get one key point absolutely spot on. That it does seem to be predicated on, yeah. on sacrifice. So, you know, this is coming round again. Don't, it'll be here, right? Mm. Sooner or later, it's, it's coming round again. So, this is where, um, this is where you have to start. I think just becoming a little less insular. You know, so take just swing back round to Fernethy, right? I've sat down with the Fernethy girls and. And, and listen to the stories. 
And, you know, out of this, I've got friendship, right? And I've got people that I really admire. And you look at what they've been through, and they're still going, and I'm the better for having known them. Now, if you'd put me in, you know, let's say, uh, a cocktail party in the Lights of London, that's probably not going to be true. Right? There might be more financial opportunity, but there wouldn't be more spiritual opportunity. It's, 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 the, it's not the groups that matter. It's the individuals that matter. You judge people by what they actually do, and um, it doesn't matter if they're poor. It doesn't matter if they're downtrodden. It doesn't matter if they are homeless and sitting by the side of the road. Those in particular are the people that you should be looking to befriend. Yeah. yeah. I'm, well, look, I'm, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. The, <clears throat> you, you're, you're, you're quite well placed to, to talk about the the spiritual nature of this war that we're fighting. I mean, that what's, you, I mean, you, you're presumably with me that, that ultimately what's happening in the world now, <clears throat> it all connects. It's, it's all ultimately the great clash between good and evil as foretold in, in Revelation, etc., in Matthew. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is. And this, this is why the people who think if I just have a bit, a bit of Bitcoin, I'll be fine, are wrong because the, the, the evil you're up against is, is Satan. And, and he wants to destroy it all, everyone, right? And no matter who thinks they're safe, no matter who thinks they're getting um, some advantage from the system, it'll come for you too. It always does, it's e because it's evil. And I mean, one of the things, I've, I've, say I've got several ventures just starting in the last month. So one of them is called Notes from the Edge. So Note 1 is up there on, on uh, YouTube. And note two will be out some point in the next week. And note two is about the relationship between the Christian and the state and how the Christian should view the state. Um, I think that's something that a lot of Christians get very, very, very wrong. So I'll be talking about that. So the, the whole point of Notes from the Edge is talking about ideas that change worldviews. Ideas, if you grasp them, you can see things in a different way. Um, and, it, and I'm going to put out there as much as I can, as much as I have, and hopefully people will come back and there'll be feedback and there'll be a discussion. Because getting things wrong theologically, getting the sort of core understanding of how the world's put together wrong, affects everything you then think and do. And sorting those problems out really makes a difference. <clears throat> I've noticed this, um, people, people getting things wrong theologically. There is, I mean, there's been a big spat on my Telegram channel recently, sort of between the kind of the, the Christians and the kind of the, the atheists or the New Agers and the, you know, etc., etc. But really, I, I've noticed as much, uh, as, as much um, dissent uh, much division rather within within Christians as I have mm -hmm. it, as anywhere. Yes. That the, the doctrinal differences 
um, some trivial, some immensely important. And you think particularly, particularly in Scotland, is that right? Well, you know that you know that the, there's a, there's a joke about the, the Scottish Scottish guy who's shipwrecked and he's washed up on a desert island and it's just him. And I think so. This is a bit grim, but he goes and he finds a spring up in the hill. And, that's okay, I've got some water. And then he, he organises, gets some bamboo and he makes a piping system so he's got running water. And then he, he, he makes himself a little ship and he gets enough bits of bits of, of uh, uh, rope from the from the wreck to make, make a net and he's, he starts fishing and he builds himself a pier. And by the, by the time they rescue him a year in, this place is a paradise. Right? He's a pier, he's got a house, he has hot and cold running water, he's got a bathtub, it's wonderful. And they're looking around, this is fantastic. You've built all this in a year just for your own bare hands. It's just tremendous. And they look up at one end of the beach and there's a church. And they look at the other end of the beach and there's a church. It's a bit, why the two churches? He says, well, that's the church I go to. And that's the church I don't go to. Right? <laughs> this is, this is, you've got to understand this you get to get Scotland. Uh, I suppose... Um before um, I go off and, and, and have a cup of tea, we, we should talk about the, the issue. I, I love talking to you, by the way, David. I really have. It's been great. And, and, and uh, you, you did not disappoint. Um, we've got to talk about the thing that I didn't want to talk about because I know that we're going to disagree on it. But at the same time, people are going to say, well, you've got to, you've got to talk to me. Why didn't you talk to me about why I left UK column? Because there, there was a sort of falling out, wasn't there? Well, what's a, a falling out? It, not exactly. Um, a friendly point. The, the, there was there was a there was a difference of opinion that that prompted me to make a decision that was probably coming. I hadn't realised. Yeah. But it was probably coming anyway, uh, because I thought for most of the time when I was fully involved in the UK column, the the, the big objective was COVID. And fighting the lockdown and telling the truth about vaccine harms. And to, to be honest, I, th I thought the UK column was magnificent during that period. I thought they did excellent work and we were all very much a unit and very much together. Um, when Russia came along, I thought we handled it less well. Russia, Ukraine, partly because getting reliable information is so difficult. Um, partly because editorial lines started to be made that weren't predicated on first getting the full understanding and and were then committed and it, it wasn't it just didn't quite gel and then um, Israel Gaza it was that was a much more extreme version of that so I felt eventually that I was unable to speak openly and honestly about about Israel and Gaza and all that was happening. Partly because it's such a toxic area. I mean, I've been involved in a few online conflicts, like Scottish independence referendum, for example. I used to think that was toxic. It's nothing compared to Israel-Gaza. The atheist v. Christian evolution debate, I used to think that was toxic. It's nothing. The, the degree of bitterness that, that is generated over the Palestinian-Israel con uh, conflict is like nothing else I've ever seen. Now, I've 
I've been going to Israel for religious reasons, Christian religious reasons, since 1998, and I've made a point of you know, reading quite a bit about it. I've spoken, obviously, to a lot of people out there. I'm trying to get an understanding of what the nature of the problem is, what the nature of the culture is. And there are, there are big problems, for sure. Um, but so hysterical was the reaction that actually talking about reality became impossible. And, and this is why I felt I had to go, because I had to go somewhere I could talk about reality. So it, how much of it was disagreement? Well, for sure there was. Yeah. Um, but uh, how much of that was actual disagreement and how much of it was simply people were carried away, not just in the UK column, people were carried away by their the reaction and the hysteria surrounding the whole thing. Um, to the point that rational debate became impossible. I was trying to make the UK column the place that rational debate could happen because that's what we did over COVID. It, the whole world became insane and we were not. Um, but it was much harder than COVID because COVID was a, a, a story and a narrative cobbled together in three or four months by not the brightest people in the world. And um, it, it, it could be quite easily picked apart. Israel-Palestine, actually whichever side of, your, of, of, the, of the argument you're on, A, that you're fighting, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to talk about reality, you're fighting on two fronts. It's not a one-front battle, it's a two-front battle. Because you've got the extremists on both sides trying to push lies to, that suit themselves. Mm. And um, secondly, this is not something that's been cobbled together in three or four months. This is something that's been going on for, for 50 years or more, um, developing the narratives and building the resentments and building the view, the world view that justifies the horrible act. Um, my position is you cannot justify the horrible act, and that should be the starting point, and then you start to look at the reality of what's actually going on. I, I, I wasn't getting a chance to talk about that. So I've, I've started in a small way. I put the first article out on the subject on my substack. So that substack's called Digging Deeper. Um, and uh, so I'm starting to talk about it there. And, and I will get to it in Notes from the Edge and I will get to it in the... I'm also doing an interview series called Necessarily So. So I'll, I'll get to it in that as well. Um, and I'll start to talk about how I see these issues and what I think the reality of it is. The, the toxic nature of the debate is so bad that if you start to treat side A as human with a bit of compassion, the supporters of side B will, will accuse you of being the extreme version of side A and will attack you. And, yeah. and and vice versa, and that's that's the that's the difficulty in actually carving out the space. I mean, I, I found when talking about both Scottish nationalism and also the fight back against what used to be called the social justice warriors, which we now know as the woke, the the first thing you have to do online is to carve out and defend a space in which you can speak. Otherwise, you'll simply be shouted down. That is hard when it's a big attack from one direction. 
when it's a, a when you're fighting on two fronts, it's much much harder. But that needs to be done. So we need to be able to have a reasoned and accurate and evidence-based and compassionate for all involved conversation about what is actually happening in the Middle East. And uh, we need it quite urgently because, as you know, because you've read the book of Revelation, there's a lot going to happen and it's going to be centred on Jerusalem and it's going to be a bit rough. Yeah, I'm going to be uncharacteristically politic here here and and sort of deflect in that I I was just you just reminded me of a story I've told, I think on a previous podcast, but I was I was um, I went to the stables the other day um, where I hire my my horses and some Americans had come over and we, we were making small talk at lunch. And there was the sort of the matriarch. She lived on a sort of four thousand acre estate in Pennsylvania, um, so they, you know, they had they had money. Uh, but I hadn't twigged that they were liberals or Democrats, or whatever. You know, that, that they were that kind of that, <laughs> a bit like the 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 the, the, the diehard Democrat liberal rich that you you see on Succession. Mm-hmm. And so we were making small talk, and we were we started talking about how. You know my 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 journey of of, of, of you know where, where, why I no longer trusted the mainstream media, and I said, well, it happened during the during the Trump election, the the last presidential election. And I could see that 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 this unpopular, senile, uh, incontinent man, uh, with a with a son with a dodgy laptop, you know, was was somehow managed to beat the most popular president in 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 U.S. And I, I realised as I was halfway through the anecdote that, that, that this was not going down well. And the, the woman sort of, she, she was sort of spitting blood at this point and you couldn't believe and she started telling me about the terrible things that had been done by Trump and how evil he was and stuff. And what, what, what upset me was that I don't give a shit about Donald Trump. I think he is part of the Luciferian deception now. I, you know, I, I'm way past the stage where I believe in Democrats, Republicans. I think they're all the Uniparty. They're all controlled from, from, by higher powers anyway. They're all evil in different ways. They're all part of the deception. But I was reminded of how the whole realm of politics is designed to suck us into these emotional positions where we feel really incredibly powerfully strongly about about the truth of our position and how we loathe the other side with a vengeance. I mean, they are truly evil and our side is good. And what you're describing about Israel-Gaza is, is, is like Israel-Palestine is like that. Russia-Ukraine was, was an attempt at that, not as successful as the Israel-Gaza thing. I, I think that, that these things are, are devised by the rulers of, this, of the darkness of this world to divide the world generally, but I think particularly to, to divide people like us. Um, that, 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 that they want more than anything, as people wake up to what's going on about the world, they want to create these schisms within our... Within our I, I hate to call it a movement, because it's not really a movement. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going anywhere. I think the, I think the only way we... The only, the only true form of awakeness is, is the spiritual nature of this realm. I don't think there's actually much we can do about it. I, 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 because, okay, there are people on our side who think we should take to the barricades and do this and that. But when the other side has the monopoly of, 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 of force, um, all you do is get, you, you, you get crushed. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for non-compliance and stuff, and I'm all for, for, for spreading the word about, about the truth about the world. 
but I, I don't think much. There's much beyond that we can actually do because I don't think people are waking up at the at, at, on the on the scale needed to effect this revolution that some people on our side want. Do you think? I, I agree with that. Um, the 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 solution will be Christ's return. It won't be anything else. Yeah. Um, there is quite a lot we can do, but violence isn't part of it, right? Because they do have the monopoly on violence, and they've got all the guns and. And um, taking to taking that route will not yield us anything. It's, that's not the nature of the fight. Um, the nature of the fight is very much spiritual. It's also intellectual. It's also based on information. And the the number of wins that I've been involved with is quite striking. And it's really interesting when you see it done. Um, my, um, my my wife was uh, working with a charity who was supporting parents who, amongst other things, was being subject to wrongful child protection action by the state. Now, if I'm um, mild-mannered and agreeable, right, my, my wife is really is, is in the wouldn't-say-boo-to-a-goose category, right? And she's not big and tall and hairy, she's small and she's petite and she's not physically, you know, threatening at all. And she would go into these situations and there'd be like 10, you know, well-paid professional people arrayed against her and this mother. And up until this point, it would just be the mother and the mother was getting essentially bullied and threatened and it was horrendous. And in went my mild-mannered wife with a great deal of knowledge and information and world-renowned experts on speed dial and within like two weeks you know, I'd be saying well how's it going well they're offering us this and this and this and this and they're apologising how did you do that to these people they were going after that woman's child and it's completely turned around so I didn't really do anything she said well actually she did but what she did is she knew her business she spoke without fear because she knew she was right and she held them to account by their own laws. And it was remarkable. So there's an awful lot that can be done. There's an awful lot of fighting to do. But it's not barricade stuff. It's intellectual stuff. And it's, and it's first predicated on losing, losing the errors, right? We do not trust people because the government says to trust them. We do not trust people because the society, the world that we live on, live in, says that they are superior and should be believed because of their unique brilliance. That's not how human beings are. So you start off and you're looking for the truth and you're looking for compassion and you're looking for love and when you don't find those, you start asking questions. And it's amazing if you lose the inherent, the, the cringe that... I think a lot of British people, certainly a lot of Scottish people, are born with where you feel subservient to the authorities and you lose that and abandon that and, and learn and deep down in your heart believe that, hey, we're all equal in a common law jurisdiction. Anything you can do to me, I can do to you. Anything I can't do to you, you can't do to me. And you start applying that and actually believing it. So much of what they do so much of what the state does, so much of what the abusers do. It's done on confidence trickery. Yeah. It's done because you don't know to say no. It's done because 
they have the arrogance to try and pull it off. And see when you start calling people on it, the results can be quite astonishing. I would I'd love to end on that point, but I can't because I've suddenly realised I've got to hear your thoughts on the basket case, which is your, your Scottish government. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the SNP, oh it's just like, it, it, it makes sort of Albania look like, like a model of probity, doesn't it? It makes Albania look organised. It's it, it. We'd call it a, a tin pot Latin American country, but that would be an insult to tin pot yeah. Latin American countries. Um, I'll I'll just give a, a couple of a couple of examples. I mean, goodness sake, it's getting. It was funny. It's getting beyond funny. It's sort of you know you you. It's hard well, Nicola Sturgeon to deleting breathe. her. All of them deleting their WhatsApp <laughs> messages. And, and, and like not not even being embarrassed about it, like yeah, well, it's what you do because otherwise you'll get FOIs. <laughs> yeah. So, th- th- I mean, this has been a pattern. The Scottish government has been about secrecy since the get go, right? This is Sturgeon and Salmon before her was all about hiding from the Scottish people what they were actually up to because what they're actually up to is evil and indefensible, and they can't talk about it. They're trying to ramrod it through, just as I said, it's a confidence trick. So, oh, be the Scottish government and. You know, we're here to help you. Oh, I. Um, so, a few highlights. Uh, one of the directors, so this is the second level under the, uh, the very top of the Scottish civil service. So, level two, director level, very, very high civil servant um, under the permanent secretary. So, one of the top seven in, in the country. Uh, actually put in writing on one of these WhatsApp messages that he deleted, but everyone else didn't. Uh, that his middle names were plausible and deniability, right? So I don't know. Does that sound like a career-ending faux pas to you? This is this is like um, we sell crap. What was the company called? Oh, Ratner, Gerald Ratner. Gerald Ratner. We sell crap, right? That killed the company. I think my middle names are plausible and deniability. Sounds like the end of a civil service career for me. I so that was he'll fun. Get away. I, I think he'll get away with it. <laughs> I, I really do. I just anyway. Carry on. And and we had, um, well, we had Hamza. Hamza's obviously been through a difficult week or two. It's only, it's only, we're still in January, and he's already had his brother-in-law arrested for dealing heroin, uh, and his wife is a drugs advisor for the government, so that was mildly embarrassing. And then once they, they, they'd let him out, he had to be re-arrested because uh, someone else, um, one, I think another one of the accused uh, on the drugs bust, uh, left a room that he was in, uh, in in a in a flat in Dundee without using the door. Uh, he left via the window, and uh, so he's been arrested again for that. So you could not make it up. If you can imagine it, if you can imagine a, a, a weird and wonderful, stupid scenario that the Scottish government are doing, then they've already surpassed it. The the little gif and it's it's a gift that keeps on giving of Hamza on his knee scooter falling over in the corridor, right? Which was a beautiful moment. Anyone who hasn't seen this, please look it up. And it says everything you need to know about the Scottish government. Because here you have this big clown who's actually running things, who remember how he got injured, right? <laughs> he decided that he had COVID and he wasn't going to come into work, so he didn't go into Parliament. And then he decided that he didn't really have COVID and that he would go down and play badminton with his friends 
right? And then he fell over playing badminton and he, and he, and he did his ankle in. So he had a little knee scooter. So, and he had crutches and, he'd, and he had a, a minion, a little Scottish government minion, holding the crutches, running after him as he went heading down the corridor on his knee scooter because he thought he was, um, I don't know, Stirling Moss. And then he fell flat on his face. It was a beautiful moment and it summed up the Scottish government almost entirely. Um, the level of hilarity that they give us is, is good light relief because we're seeing across Europe and across the globe the coming apart of democratic government. Right? Now, democratic government's always been a bit of a lie because if you think that, if you read the Bible, you're not going to be under any illusion that um, the will of the people equals goodness, right? Because that's not how the world works. Mm. And you've got democratic government where this is, uh, you're, you, you, after all the thou shalt nots, you put in brackets except by majority vote. Right? You can overrule anything by majority vote. This has got disaster written all over it, and it's got its, it has within itself the seeds of its own destruction. And we're seeing it working out. Uh, Scotland's funny, and, you know, that's a relief, uh, given some of the off things we've been talking about today. But in America, in Britain, in Europe, in the Middle East, you see it becomes very quickly not funny and very quickly quite serious. And the level of decision-making is monstrously poor. And the resulting suffering um, is, is very extreme. Yeah, I was thinking... Um, I, don't, I don't really do topical because I, I try not looking at the news and stuff, but who's that person who's just facing jail time now for printing leaflets talking about I don't know um, whites being abused in their own country or, or, or I mean, yeah, this, is, kind this, this is a nonsense this is simply having one side in an ongoing debate this is very interesting because in the last week we've had three cases from employment tribunals that have said Having one side in an ongoing debate, the side the woke hate, is not a problem. It's in fact protected. It's protected belief. It's protected speech. And you cannot be sacked, fired, harassed, bullied or berated simply for thinking that, for example, a woman's a woman and it means adult human female. Right? Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, we've got the criminal courts who don't seem to have got the memo yet attacking people, ruining their lives, imprisoning them, for having yeah. simply the wrong side of a, as they see it, of an opinion on mass immigration. Now, this is going to end soon because, because mass immigration is no longer the subject that Roman's talking about. It's now being discussed in the Telegraph. It's now being talked about everywhere. And if you talk to the people, what are they concerned about? Mass immigration. Hugely. Right? People who are of very moderate right-wing traditional opinion are now massively alarmed by this, and they want something done. Although I always, I'm always suspicious of, you know, if it's in the Telegraph, it must be part of the, the agenda of, the, of, the, of the, the rulers of the darkness of this world. I mean, you know, they, they don't allow this stuff to happen unless, unless it's, it's the next stage of the plan. 
I don't. They're not that clever. I don't mm. give them that much credit. They lose well, control. On, Satan's they, they, their boss. He's pretty. He's pretty. He's pretty um, diabolical. Yeah, but not creative, and and not particularly. I mean, you know, he's got these guys to work with. Um, there's plenty of areas where they lose control of the narrative. They lose quite a lot. The thing that's the thing that that Satan and his followers don't do is they don't give up. Sorry, the, the reason I'm looking away distractedly is only because I'm trying to find the name of this person. Do you know the, the person I mean? I mean, I have heard the case. I can't remember the, the name. I'm sorry. No, it's annoying because uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want it to, to be seen to be shirking the fight or or or, or not taking this this case um, seriously. Um, I'm trying to think whose um, whose Twitter thread it might have been on. Would it have been on? Robin Minotti's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's have a look. Let's have a... But it is just outrageous that, that I mean, there is, despite, despite, surprisingly, despite the free speech union, it seems that. Well, the it's, government... but 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 it's 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 now been seen as an outlier. Now, I I, I think it's an outrageous decision as well. Yeah. Um, but I wonder whether in 18 months from now that too will, will have to be overturned. I mean, it, it, the, they are getting pushed back on a number of fronts. I don't think we're going to... We're not going to sort out the ills of the world because the ills of the world come from the evils of the human heart. Um, but there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to win fights along the way. And there's plenty of opportunities. You win fights, you get stronger, you get... It's, it's, it's a beneficial thing. Personally, it's a beneficial thing in terms of your friendship networks, beneficial terms in terms of your... In terms of if your, your, what you might term your spiritual temperature, your mental health, call it what you will. Um, being involved in actually fighting for right and making some headway is a joyful thing mm. and we should we should we should keep the joy in it it i, I found his name oh, i see he's described as a far-right activist he's called yeah. he's called yeah. sam melia or melia m-m-e-l-i-a and and he and he has he he printed out these these slogans these stickers with slogans like reject white guilt yeah well <laughs> It's okay yeah. to be white. We will be a minority in our homeland by 2066. White lives matter. Stop anti-white rape gangs. Love your nation. I mean, this is just like... And where's the crime? Where, where is the crime? I, 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 I don't feel embarrassed to say that stuff. I mean, to repeat it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tenable position. I mean, the, the well, thing about 2066 is, is, is all the... The demographic trends point towards that direction, don't they? There was um, a case where it's okay to be white stickers appeared in Perth um, oh, about two years ago or something, two, three years ago. And and John Swinney, the local MP, Deputy First Minister for a long time, uh, he uh, went on the press and said how, how dreadful and disgusting this was. 
So I asked him, okay, John, so you're saying it's not okay to be white? Of course, no response, no response. And another, another of the wonderful moments from Scottish politics is you'll have seen Hamza Yusuf's infamous Whitey speech, which he actually nicked from the Labour leader of uh, the opposition in Scotland, um, who is also of uh, Pakistani ethnic origin, who made the same speech in Hamza Nexus. So he wasn't even original, but he went through all the things that were white that he didn't like, and he spat the word, and it was a dreadful speech and quite the most racist thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And um, so this is now uh, developed into a million memes, including recently uh, the gear my brother-in-law shifts white, uh, the prison van they took my brother-in-law away in, white, <laughs> uh, and, and on it goes. So, oh, uh, I'd, like see, I'd like to see this. <laughs> That's good. Um, and uh, it, it started off with, like, you know, white pudding suppers, white, lucky white hair or white, but it's moved on to more political stuff now. Fantastic. I think we're, that's how we're going to win. We're going to win with memes. Um, David, <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for coming on my on my um, on the Delling Pod. And I wish Northern Exposure the very best in exposing things from the North. <laughs> I think that's that's the that's, that's the the purpose, isn't it? And that's that's what we're here for. That is our that is our goal. It's been great talking to you. Tell um, my viewers and listeners where we where 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 they can find your stuff. Okay, so uh, Twitter is Albion underscore Rover. Um, I'd have to say the football name of the football team of the same name are not thrilled that I have that tag, but that's that's where I am. Um, and if you go to uh, Substack Mail, it's uh, Digging Deeper Ne. And uh, if you go to YouTube, it's Northern Exposure. There's quite a lot of Northern Exposure stuff. So if you type Northern Exposure. David Scott, you'll find me, or the actual the actual tag is Northern Exposure nine five one zero, and uh, you'll get me on YouTube. Uh, it will be on other platforms soon, and uh, watch for Notes from the Edge. Watch for uh, watch for necessarily so. The interview series was started that with nine eleven. I was interviewing um, a nine eleven whistleblower, um, and. Uh, that's that's kicked that one off because 9-11 was a start for so many people uh, waking up to what what is going on in our world and um, we have uh, starting uh, on the, the last Sunday in February a weekly news review programme which is uh, the working title for which at the moment is called Mad World and uh, that will be on with me and guests talking about all the strange things we live amongst on a weekly basis and uh, the plan is to live stream that one so uh, that's what's going on uh, join me for all of it and uh, support me if you can and share the content thanks are thanks you going so to much. go for the tears for fears version of, of uh, for your for your title song were you going to go for the the cover version that appeared in donnie darko i've actually got a version on tape already prepared played by two young lads playing a street piano in Jerusalem across the road from a pub called Putin's. Well, they're singing Mad World by... They're, play they're playing Mad World on a piano. That's good. I like that. That's very <laughs> impressive. But you, you might get the songwriting um, rights people still chasing after you. I don't know. Anyway, It David. was heavily improvised. I think they'd have a hard job. Maybe they would. 
Alright, okay. Yes, well I suppose that I suppose they're um those those bots that search the internet for sounds that like yeah. Anyway, um David Scott, uh of Northern Exposure, uh Interalia, thank you very much for being on the Delling Pod. And it only remains for me to thank you, all you lovely viewers and listeners, and I particularly I mean I love you all, but I particularly love the ones who, who kindly support me. Uh, which you can do on Subscribestar, on Substack. So Substack is my favourite. Locals is my second favourite. It's Patreon, Subscribestar. Buy me a coffee. I always like, you know, I always like you know, little one-off gifts. Um, and don't forget to go to my website, jamesdellingpole.co.uk. Lots of information, interesting stuff to read if you're bored. And um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you again, David. James, it's been a real pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you. I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, I have. And I'm sorry about the epileptic fits I may have induced uh, with my fading camera battery on my light. There it is. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Bye bye.